0: from the abominable business goes on as usual and soon it is right before Christmas and everybody is getting ready for that big big sleigh ride on the night of the 24th Christmas Eve you see all the toys Santa brings are made by these elves seems elves have that certain knack for toy making all except for this this one misfit. Kirby! Aren't you finished painting that yet? There's a pile up a mile wide behind you. What's eating you, boy? Not happy in my work, I guess. What? I just don't like to make toys. No, well, if that's all. What? You don't like to make toys? No. Hermie doesn't like to make toys. Hermie doesn't like to make toys. Hermie doesn't like to make
1: toys. Hermy doesn't, like to doesn't like to make toys. Toys? Oh, oh, it's nice. It's nice. Do you
0: mind telling me what you do want to do? Well, sir, someday I'd like to be a, a dentist. A dentist? <laughs> well, we need one up here. I've been studying. It's fascinating. You've no idea. Molars and bicuspids and incisors. Now, listen, you. You're an elf and elves make toys. Now, get to work! Ten minutes break! Not for you! Finish the job, or you're fired! Why am I such a misfit? I am not
1: just a nit. You can't fire me, I quit. Seems I don't fit in. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm just not ready to move past Christmas yet. I'm not ready. It felt like Christmas just came and went too quickly this year. I don't know what it was. It was 60 degrees on Christmas. That might've had something to do with it. It felt like we kind of lost a week somewhere in December. And so I'm not ready to move on. and to keep watching Christmas movies, keep talking about these things because, because Hermie doesn't want to build toys. And we haven't talked about that yet. Hermie doesn't want to build toys. So he goes to his overly aggressive supervisor, And his his honest and heartfelt response to the question, what's eating you, boy, is I'm just not happy in my work, I guess. This is a kid's movie. I'm just not happy in my work, I guess. Hopefully, you've had some time off for the Christmas season. Hopefully, you've been able to take a break. uh, And maybe as we're looking into 2020 and you're thinking about the work that you're going back to, I wonder if any of you might share Hermes' sentiments, just not happy in my work, I guess. Maybe it's lacking a little bit of meaning or purpose or fulfillment, and you just don't quite know what it is. And this is also a fifth weekend for us, so uh, we have our, our Hope kids worshiping with us today every fifth weekend at Hope Ankeny. We like to worship together as families. And, and kids, you've had a break too off of school, and, and I wonder if you're thinking about going back. You know, that's, that's your work, going back to school and wondering, man, I, I don't know what, what I'm leading into. How, how is what I'm studying today setting me up for, you know, the future work that I one day might do? And maybe even like Hermie, you just don't feel like you fit in. Like you feel like a misfit. Everybody else, all the other elves are, are perfectly happy doing the things that they're doing and they're getting along just fine. And, and why do you feel different in, in the work that you're called to do? This is also uh, the final weekend of ni- 2019. Our 2019 message series, we've looked at 12 books of the Bible every 12 months. And so uh, we started all the way back in January looking at the book of Acts. It's been a really great year working through 12 books of the Bible. And this is our last message in the book of Revelation that we've been studying through the month of December. And one of the themes that has kept coming up in the book of Revelation has been how beneficial it is for us to know how the story ends. That, that here in Revelation, we have a book about the end of this, of this creation story that we're all a part of, and that because we know how the story ends, uh, we actually get to live our lives with a great deal of confidence and hope because of the victory that we share in, in what Jesus has done for us, whose birth we just celebrated on Christmas. That because of our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who has set us free, who has forgiven us, who has died for our sins, when we place our trust in him and and we surrender to him with our whole lives, that we get to experience the joy of this forever kingdom, God, that we get to experience that and how incredible that will be. And this theme of knowing the end of the story, how the story ends, actually shows up quite often in, in Scripture. Back in the month of August, we studied uh, the book of Isaiah, and in Isaiah, God talks about this, this topic, his plans being the same from beginning to end. He says this in chapter 46, "'I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning.'" From ancient times, what is still to come, I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. I feel like it's critically important for us every time we gather together to worship to remember that that's why we're here. You know, we ask questions about our our lives, our work, the meaning and purpose that we find in the things that we're doing in our life, but, but ultimately why we gather for worship is so that we can know more about who God is, Learn more about His identity because the more we learn about who God is, the more confident we're going to be in who we are and who He's created us to be because He has made us in His image. And this is God saying who He is, that that His purposes in your life, in my life, in all of creation will come to pass. That God's plans are the same. And He has this interesting statement, I make known the end from the beginning. So as we have been studying the end of the story, we have here God telling us that the plan has always been this that the end that we're studying has been there from the very beginning, and that, in fact, he revealed the plan from the very beginning of everything. And so I guess the best place to explore this would be to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, the very beginning. We're studying the very end. We might as well hop all the way on back to the beginning and see how this thing kicks off. Genesis chapter 1, God makes everything out of nothing. I wonder if you've ever tried to wrap your mind around that even just a little bit. I mean, it's, it's impossible for us to do because none of us actually knows what nothing is. We don't have the ability to uh, actually comprehend what it is that nothing would be, but that's what was. And out of nothing, God made everything, everything in all of existence, stars and planets and blades of grass and uh, time itself and space and physics and, and atoms and all the things that we know God creates. It's the first thing that we know about who God is. The first characteristic we see in God is that he is creative, infinitely creative. That God could have made a universe that was purely functional, that everything just worked. But instead, God chose to make things that, yeah, work, but there are things in this entire universe that we don't know why they exist other than that they are aesthetically pleasing. They're beautiful. And God made them specifically for that purpose. That God exercises creativity and then after he's finished speaking all of the universe into being and everything that exists, he takes his hands and he forms people. His greatest creation, his most blessed creation with his hands breathes his own life into human beings. Genesis 1.27, so God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created the male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Some, some translations say subdue it. Of, of all of God's creations, you are the only one that actually has God's characteristics, his traits. Imago Dei in the Latin, the image of God is what you have inside of you. Which means that if God is creative, that means you are creative also. That God has given you that characteristic and that trait. This, this command that God gives, it's the first commandment in all of Scripture for people, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. There are a couple of different uh, interpretations, ways to read this passage that theologians have explored over the years. The, the first and most obvious is that God is simply giving a, a mandate, instruction for procreation to have children, because unless God actually explicitly gives an instruction for procreation, there was absolutely no way a man and a woman were going to figure that out. With me? Okay. Perfectly acceptable interpretation. The, the Hebrew verb there for be fruitful, it's that Hebrew text. Really quickly, peru, peru is the Hebrew word there for be fruitful. It does show up in the Old Testament talking about offspring, children. It shows up in some other ways too. We read Isaiah 46, there's this section in the middle of Isaiah 45 and 46 where where God is talking about who he is and he uses this word about his own righteousness, that his righteousness is a fruit of who he is, of his existence, that part of what it means to bear fruit is actually to live out of who you are, not just procreatively, but creatively, that bearing fruit is more than just having children, it's actually creating things in this world that fill it. That there's a theological interpretation of, of this mandate as a cultural mandate. That God is saying, I've made you in my image. You have my creativity in you. Now I'm going to give you the keys to this creation and I want to see what you're going to do with it. It's your turn. God rests after this creation and says it's your turn to create. Now what does this have to do with the, the end of the story? You know, there's... there's We we have this beginning, this cultural mandate. In fact, there's a theologian, Nancy Percy, who, who writes this. It'll be on the next slide. The first phrase, be fruitful and multiply, means to develop the social world, build families, schools, cities, governments, laws. The second phrase, subdue the earth, means to harness the natural world, plant crops, build bridges, design computers, compose music. This passage is sometimes called the cultural mandate because it tells us that our original purpose was to create cultures and build civilizations, nothing less. That God has given you a purpose, a work to do, a part to play in shaping the world around us. That God could have filled the entire universe and the whole world with a bunch of people and a bunch of cultures. Instead, he releases it to do what it's going to do gives us the ability to participate in this ongoing work of shaping the world around us. That that your life has an incredible amount of meaning and that God is paying attention to your life and cares about what you're doing with it. What does this have to do with Revelation? With the end, with knowing the end from the beginning? Well, our, our scripture reading for today in Revelation chapter 21 has this interesting vision of what heaven is like. So the author of Revelation has this vision of heaven, he sees the end and what's going to happen, and and he tries as best he can in metaphorical language to describe things that are indescribable. Same same way that we don't really have a a context for what nothing is like, it's very difficult for somebody to explain what eternity is like. It's more than just a really long time, it's it's a, a whole other state of being with God in eternity. And so he's trying to describe these things and what heaven looks like, and he has this vision of the eternal city of God. And it says in Revelation 21, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. So he sees this vision of the eternal city of God, illuminated by by Jesus himself sitting on the throne. Uh, I was talking to to a woman last night, and she said, that's kind of sad that we don't get to have sun or moon. I kind of like looking at them. And it says, it doesn't say they're not there, just as we don't really need them anymore, because God's giving all this light. But it also says he sees this kind of processional through the gates of the city up to the throne of God and the kings of the earth, of the nations of the earth, bringing their splendor into it. The Greek here for nations is ethne, meaning ethnic groups, not like the geopolitical countries we have, but but people groups, ethnicities. And here, the author of Revelations is witnessing the leaders of ethnicities, every culture that's ever existed, bringing its own splendor into heaven. The things that those cultures have produced, walking into heaven with them, actually getting to be a part of what heaven is. That God is saying, The plan from the beginning was that you would continue to further creation, and here at the end, we get to see the fruits of your labor, of your work, brought before Jesus Christ. I wonder what that's going to be like. I wonder what we're going to get to see of every people, group, and ethnicity that has ever been, every culture on the planet. What kind of food will there be in art and music and technology and science and discovery and all the things that we've experienced here and God says, I'm, I want that to be a part of eternity, that that gets to be a part of this experience for all of us to share together. I think that that's exciting for a lot of people, but I feel like for a lot of us, it can also feel intimidating as we think about our work, the part that we're playing and maybe asking our questions of, of is what I'm doing in, in my work part of that? How, how is what I'm doing adding to our culture, to, our, our, to the glory and the splendor of our nation? Do I feel like that's really where I fit in? Or do I feel sometimes out of place? Maybe what I'm doing isn't that big of a deal. Maybe sometimes you feel like a human stuck in an elf's world. Let's take a look. Ming Ming. Um... I'm gonna be a little bit short on today's quota.
0: It's all right, buddy. Just how many extra sketches did you get finished? Come on, buddy, how many? I made, uh... 85?
1: It's you. 915 off the pace. Why don't you just say it? I'm the worst toy maker in the world. I'm a cotton-headed ninny muggins. <gasps> no, buddy, you're not a
0: cotton-headed ninny muggins. We all just have different talents, that's all. Seems like everyone else has the same talents except for me. You you have you have lots of talents. Uh special talents, in fact. Like, um. Uh, special talents?
1: You changed batteries in the smoke detector? You mm-hmm. sure did. Triple yeah. A's.
0: In six months, you'll have to check them again. Won't mm-hmm. you? And you're the only baritone in the elf choir. <laughs> you bring us down a whole octave. In a yeah. good way. <laughs> See, Buddy? You're not a cotton-headed ninny-muggins. You're just... special.
1: And so, Buddy was sent where the, the special elves work. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I hate to do this to you, but you think you can help me pick up the slack on those etches, can't you? No problem. I appreciate it. Buddy's killing me. Now you got Lum Lum and Choo Choo pulling doubles. Just quick thinking yesterday with that special talents thing. I feel bad for the guy. Just hope he doesn't get wise. Well, if he hasn't figured out he's a human by now, I don't think he ever will. If he hasn't figured out he's a human by now. I don't think he ever will.
1: I think they're too small.
0: They're just... special.
1: Buddy, are you okay? I'll be okay, I just need a glass of water. Ah!
0: Buddy.
1: <laughs> Shower reminds me of my first apartment. <laughs> Seems like everybody has the same talents except for me. When I look around at what other people are doing and the work that they have and the ways that they're experiencing life and adding to culture, I feel like I'm out of place and that what I'm doing isn't necessarily as important. And I wonder if you've ever felt that way before. Haven't quite found your place yet. Didn't realize that God has actually made you unique and specific from other people. That not everybody has the same talents. Not everybody has the same gifts and abilities. That only you can do what God has made you to do. It reminds me of one of Jesus' stories in Matthew 25. If you have your Bible, you can open to Matthew chapter 25. Something I'm really excited about for, for next year, for 2020, all of our message series every month of 2020 is going to be exploring a different characteristic or aspect of Jesus's life. We're going to get to know Jesus really well in 2020. So one month we'll talk about Jesus as teacher and Jesus as healer and Jesus as savior. And I'm really excited. So next week we're going to be kicking that off. I hope you're all back here for that next week when Scott's going to be preaching. But Jesus was also a, an incredible storyteller. As God's own son, he was able to bring heaven's truths down to earth and explain them in ways that we could understand. And my favorite parable that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 25 is called the parable of the talents. The talent was a, a unit of currency in Jesus' day, a way to measure money. And he tells a story in Matthew 25 of a property owner who is going to go on a journey. And before he leaves, he leaves his property entrusted to three servants. And he gives each of those servants pieces of his property or talents money, and it says each according to their ability. It's a very important statement that Jesus makes. That Each of these servants was get, given a portion of the property, each according to their ability. So the first servant was given five talents to take care of, the second servant was given two, and the last servant was given one talent to care for, and the property owner went on his journey. It says in verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents brought five more. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the the servant who had received two talents did the exact same thing. Went to his master and said, see, I have brought two more. And the master's response was the same. Well done, good and faithful servant enter into the joy of your master. And when it came to the third servant who had been given one talent, he goes up to his master and he says this, master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. His master answered him, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I've not sown, gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents." There's a few things Jesus is pointing to us here. One of them we kind of overlook. Uh, It's more convenient to gloss over this whole business about uh, reaping where you didn't sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And obviously, Jesus is using this parable to teach us about God, who God is, our Father, this master in heaven who uh, has entrusted us with his property. That cultural mandate from Genesis 127 that that we would fill the earth, that we would be fruitful and multiply, that that, that God has entrusted us with with his creation and, and one day he's going to ask, what did you do with the time that I gave you? And for two of the servants, it was incredibly exciting that they would get to say to their master, see, this is what I did. This is what I brought you. And for one servant, he was afraid because he didn't really understand who his master was. He didn't really have a concept, a relationship with his master that allowed him to see that his master was trusting him to participate in his property, in his creation, in the things that he had given him, giving us the opportunity to be a part of what God is doing. And if you don't understand that about who God is, then you're not going to understand about who you are, a well-loved, trusted servant of the king who's going to get to one day show him what you did and for him to be excited over that. And I've said it before, so if you've heard me preach this, I'm sorry, but I, I think the, I don't think the hero of this parable is actually the, the servant who had five talents and gained five more. I think the hero of this parable is actually the servant who was given two. Because here was a servant who, who had just watched his friend, his co-worker, be given by his master more than double what he was given. And if that had been me or maybe many of us, we would have watched that whole thing play out and, and begin asking these negative questions like, why... Why was he trusted with more than me? Am I not not good enough to have that? Does does God not love me like he loves that person? And we start to do this in our lives, looking around at the other people in our our circle and wondering, why why didn't I get what they got in life? That that job that that she got, I wanted that job. That family that he has, I wanted that family. That skill that I see, I I I wish I could do that. Why can't I do that? And we start, to, the dirty little secret about that, by the way, is that the person you're envying or idealizing is actually doing it to somebody else. They're wondering why they didn't get that kind of skill or, or job or, or whatever it is. And, and around and around we go in this circle of comparison and envy, never actually paying attention to the things that God has given us, uniquely designed us to do, the talents that we have been entrusted with, because God has made you to do the things that only you can do. And that's what this servant does. He's given two talents and instead of comparing himself to to, to somebody who got more or less, he takes his two talents and he doubles it. And notice how the the reward is exactly the same. Whether it's 10 or 4, the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my joy. Because God isn't going around comparing what you're doing to what other people are doing. God isn't wondering why you didn't end up that way or do, are doing the things that that person's doing or have the skills of that, that person. God gave you a specific part to play in crafting this world and shaping this creation. And he is uniquely interested in seeing what you're going to do with it. I think all of heaven is watching with great anticipation in what we're doing with our lives because one day these, these cultural parts of our, of our people are going to become part of the decorations of heaven. And it's an exciting thing to be a part of. So as we look into a new year and we think about our work and the part that we have to play that God's calling us to play, maybe a a life verse or a verse that we could kind of hold on to, maybe even memorize going into this year, Colossians 3.17. It's going to be on the screen. Let's read this out loud. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him whatever you do. Whatever it is that God has given for you to do, do that for Him. Pay attention to Him. Know that that He sees you doing what you're called to do and is pleased with that, that He takes delight and great joy in whatever it is that you're called to do. Whether it's building houses, or fixing cars, or taking care of patients in a hospital, or teaching algebra, or swinging on a swing set at school, or preaching sermons, or maybe even making candy canes in a candy cane factory. Let's watch.
0: Candy canes come in many different colors and sizes. Candy makers start by cooking up a big batch of sugar, water, and corn syrup. Next they prepare a mix of starch and peppermint flavoring. As they blend together, the flavoring binds to the starch. The flavoring mix is emptied into the middle of the syrupy slab. Then the whole thing is fed into a machine that folds the batch repeatedly using shovels and a plunger. This distributes the flavoring evenly. These pullers stretch the mixture around a metal post. This action aerates the candy, turning it white. This batch will make 3,200 candy canes, but there's still a lot more work to do. Next, they roll strips of red colored candy. A worker stretches and folds it to widen the strip. Two of the red strips are arranged on either side of the white candy. The block of candy weighs 100 pounds, so it takes two workers to transfer it to a batch roller. The batch roller cylinders roll the candy thinner and thinner dramatically reducing the log's diameter until it reaches candy cane dimensions. A torch moves across the candy to keep it pliable. The sugary batch travels between wheels that slim it down even more. The rope of candy moves forward in a wave-like fashion. This gives it some slack so it doesn't stretch as it moves through the next set of wheels. The candy rope moves through two angled belts that twist it, and a chain of knives cut the twisted rope to candy cane size. This production has been perfectly choreographed.
1: It's one of my guilty pleasure shows called How It's Made on the Science Channel. That's right, I know how to have a good time. I could watch that show all day, I'll probably watch it all afternoon. It's awesome, every half hour episode has three or four of these segments that just kind of go along and track down how, how, how these certain products in our lives that we take for granted get produced like shopping carts and spark plugs and candy canes. And, and I, I could watch this all day because I am fascinated, endlessly fascinated by the seemingly infinite ways people in our world are coming up with these things, producing these things, making these things adding to our culture. And it's even fun for me to think that one day the people in this factory will get to stand before Jesus and he'll ask, so what'd you do with the time that I gave you? And that they would be able to say, we made candy canes. And for God to say, wow, that's amazing. I never would have thought of that. Candy canes. And they were good. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into my joy that whatever you do, do it for Jesus. Worship him with your life, with your work, and know that that maybe this year as you're thinking about, you know, New Year's Eve resolutions or New Year's resolutions are often dismal negative things, thinking about what are the things that I need to give up or change or do differently, and I'm not saying there's necessarily anything wrong with that, but but I would almost encourage you this year, maybe think about what you already have, what are the talents that God has already given you at your disposal, and how could you use those things to make something for Him, to do something for Him, and know that this year God is smiling on you, that, that He is delighted in what you're doing. And that with whatever he's given you, if you're doing it for him, then you'll get to hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into my joy. Would you stand with me and let's pray together? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for uh, the truth and the promise we have, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you that, that because of our relationship with him, we know you as our heavenly father who loves us. And I pray that for all of us, we would appreciate more and more what that means, God, that that we don't have to fear you or be afraid of you, God, but that we can uh, receive your joy and know your delight. Uh, I pray for all of us in the year to come, God, that you would help us to uh, look specifically at our lives and the ways that you're calling each of us individually to to follow you, to be a part of the world that you've created, and to, to extend your love to people who don't know that yet. So we thank you, God, for that love, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.